Annyeonghaseyo! Welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hi there. Hello. So, Megan, I need to talk to you about something. Yeah. <sighs> Look, I am not coming for your husband at all. But I really appreciate that Neil has become like a silent partner in our podcast, basically. Amazingly so. He's a huge fan. So <laughs> actually, I do need to I do need to I wanted to mention this. I'm okay, glad so we're talking about this. You have OK, if you haven't listened to our last pod. <laughs> well, it would have been two weeks ago. OK, two weeks out. Two weeks so out. single the it's our singles Inferno recap. And you really need to if you even if you have not seen Singles Inferno and have like no desire to see Singles Inferno, you really should listen to that podcast because it's a lot of fun. And Leah tells a story that honestly, I think about once a day and it makes me very (laughs) (laughs) it makes me so happy about how she made it onto an episode of Top Chef. And I told Neil about it like the like the the day after we recorded okay so i told him i was like look leah told this story and it was one of the funniest things i've, I've ever heard and he was he wanted to he wanted to hear it right away and i was like he was okay, like i want factual proof this happened yeah. well no <laughs> he he was like really eager to listen to it and i was like okay well it's not it's not edited yet i will i will let you know and this was like i think like last week so i was like it'll be out on wednesday like it'll be out and so today, like, you know, the day's going by, you know, we both work from home and it's like, it's like 2.30. And I was like, you know, I forgot I was going to tell Neil the timestamp of like when Leah's story. So just so you all know, it's 22.30. It's 22 minutes, 30 seconds. That's pretty if far you, in, but yeah. If you want to skip to Leah's, because I wrote it down. So I texted him because we're too lazy to like walk down our stairs. And I texted him and I said, by the way, the timestamp of Leah's story it's in today's episode and it's 22:30 and he wrote back and goes i already listened to it and i <laughs> i already purchased the top chef episode on amazon prime and watched it and i was like what it's like 2:30 like I am so proud. This is like the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Mind you, if the kids are like, can I have this on Amazon Prime? He's like, no. <laughs> but yet he bought some random Top Chef episode for like season 11. And he's like, like scouting for you. He's like, she's in it a lot. because She's like one of the only white people. <laughs> Can he see so, her go down behind no, the prep station? No. So, oh, and you know what he said? Wait, hold on. One more thing. You know okay. what he said? He goes, I didn't see anyone cooking with mayonnaise. <laughs> well, Neil, actually, I don't know. I know what I know, which was there was open mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, God. I just laughed so hard. Um. So, yeah, when Megan said that, I was like, shit. Like, you know, I haven't watched this in a long time. 
I kind of should go back. And like, I was like, fuck it. I'm just, I was at work eating lunch. I'm like, I'm just going to buy it and watch it. How much is it to so buy So I go to Amazon. I have, so I went on to Amazon and I apparently had bought it like whenever it had come out. So like I already oh. owned it. So I just was watching it and flipping. And I mean, look, I won't say that I was like an Oscar winner in this, <laughs> <laughs> but there was a flash where I could tell I was peas and carrots in it. Like I talked about doing like that peas and carrots, peas and carrots. There was definitely that. And there were a few times where I saw myself like kind of aggressively nodding in the background <laughs> because Chris and I were like, if we nod a lot... Just kind of like, you know, that like nodding that you would do at like a poetry reading. Like, I am in this. I am committing to whatever this person is saying. We will get more camera time. And that works. And my friend Chris is in it actually way more than me. So he's in aviator sunglasses, like a nice fitting kind of mauve shirt and some navy blue shorts. And I feel like the camera really finds him a lot. And this is so it's season 11, episode 16. Maui, wowie. <laughs> there is no mayonnaise. And I don't think there's one time where I can tell that I'm drunk because of the look on my face and the fact my glass is empty. But I'm definitely not a mess. Like, I don't present in the background. Like, you know, I don't think anyone was like, wait, hang on. What's happening to that, like, extra back there? It's not like Amy. It's I'm not like Amy and two bottles of soju. No, yeah. no, 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 okay. no, no. I understood the assignment apparently enough. <laughs> Uh, but at the end, you just see my friend Chris. So my friend Chris is there with his aviators as they're, like, announcing the winner. So it was a quick fire challenge that we were a part of. Not, like, the So you were whatever. no longer next to him. It's just him. No, it's just him. And that's because I was behind the quick fire shell station in the mayonnaise. And, Neil, I promise you, I would not forget mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, my God. Well... Well, he was like concerned. He was like, I can't believe they didn't feed them. And that was that's a very long time. <laughs> I, I agreed, Neil. Agreed. <laughs> Inappropriately long. <laughs> he was very worried, worried for whatever year that what year was it? I think it was 2000. Look, actually, I think it might have been before I had my third child. Okay. So that could have been like 2014. Maybe yeah, I was going to say. 2014. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't leave three children behind, just two. But I do remember one other thing was hanging out in, like, this hot tub, because we were in, like, the douchiest hotel. And there were people, like, drinking out of, like, tiki glasses with tea. And, I mean, it's so fake and contrived. And so, like, I already hated them. And so I'm sitting in this hot tub as they're, like, sipping away, talking about, like, stocks, because, of course, they are. And somebody was like, are you here? Like, who are you here with? And I was like, oh, I was talking about my, I said something about being married. And they're like, are you here with your husband? And I was like, no, I'm here with that guy. And I point at my friend Chris, who's in these tiny shorts that are so <laughs> small, and he's on his phone, and I know he's on Grinder <laughs> on his phone. And I'm like, no, I'm with that guy. And they were all like, oh. And like, no one asked any other questions. I probably thought you were, he's like your pool boy. Yeah, he's been like <laughs> swinging away in Maui. Oh my goodness. So anyway. Um, Maui wowie. And I did actually, okay, one last thing, and then we will get into it, is... Um, so I was really fascinated with Grindr on this trip because oh it's not like a, it's not a life I live. And so Grindr is where folks can, you know, booty call each other basically. And so 
I was like, I really like want you to <laughs> like basically I third wheel the grinder date. <laughs> and it was amazing and I have no regrets. Like this poor guy showed up and I was there like I am ready to be a part of this date. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy I, like, I did not sign up for this he showed up and he was wearing a shirt that had like antarctica on it and i was like oh antarctica like i know a bit about antarctica actually um and he was like he sat down and he goes well it's really sad about climate change and that's i mean really like sad. yes it is but that's a hard lead-in for the grinder that, right, that's- <laughs> I was like, you really took that down like three notches, buddy. Like, I'm, I'm not feeling this for my friend. <laughs> That's incredible. And then he took us to a Buddhist retreat center. He was working for it. He really wanted me gone. Basically, he was like, I need to get rid of this like lady and get with this guy. And I was like, oh, it's not happening. But I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for the long haul, my friend. And so we went to this Buddhist retreat. And I just remember there was, like, a guy who worked there that came out. And we were like, your grounds are really lovely. And they were. They were nicely landscaped. I don't know why we were there, but, like, we got brought there. And he was like, thank you. It is because the energetic contributions of all of our guests. And I will never forget that he was able to bust that out. And I was like, you have said that many times, yet you deliver it like it's your first. (laughs) So wait, d- does that mean he wanted money? No, he was just saying that like our everyone who comes puts in like their energetic contributions into the space. Oh, so okay. when I come and I'm like, look, your landscaping looks nice. Who did your gardening? It's really the energetic contributions, contributions. of all of our guests. Oh. And Leah's like, look, I'm just here okay. to cock block my friend right now. I'm just here to really <laughs> like get all the like. <laughs> My life is not that exciting, so let me just have this one night to cock block hardcore. <laughs> anyway, okay. I don't have a good segue into... From cock blocking to... <laughs> from cock blocking. No, we are just going to, like, <sighs> raw dog into this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so Our Beloved Summer is an adaptation of a popular Naver webtoon good early summer which serves as the prequel to the k-drama and tells the budding relationship of Choi Ung and Guk Young Sun. So this isn't the first time that these two actors Choi Woo Shik and Kim Dami have been paired together. They also star in the bloody 2020 thriller The Witch Part 1 The Subversion which is a very long title as they battle each other. But in this series Choi Ung and Guk Yeon Su, they're still fighting, just less overtly. Here they play exes who fell in love in high school and vowed never to meet each other again upon breaking up five years later. Fate has other ideas, though, when a documentary they filmed 10 years ago goes viral again, and the producers convince both to go on camera facing not just the past, but everything that comes with it, including their feelings for each other. And directing the entire messy affair is Ung's smoldering best friend, Ji Ung, played by Kim Song Chul, who might have harbored a secret crush on Yunso since forever. Add into that mix a laid-back, perpetual underachiever, Choi Ung, who is now a famous artist, and we also have this beautiful yet surprisingly sympathetic K-pop idol eager to make the moves on him. And 
also add into the mix just a whole lot of heart and heartache. So personally, I would classify this story as a contemporary romance that has a strong coming of age bent due to the many flashbacks to high school and college when the leads were in a relationship. It is also a drama that won a poll on our Patreon for a drama that folks wanted to see us deep dive. And so here we are giving the people what they want. It's a tough job committing to 16 episodes of Choi Wushik, but somebody had to be up for the task. I mean, it was, you know, it was such a big job to do this. And I don't, you know, like when people ask big things of me, but, you know, I took one for the team. Yeah. Thanks for putting us through the ringer. <sighs> Choi Wushik. First, our beloved summer, the title. Are we a fan? Yes, no, maybe so. No. I swear, sometimes I feel like whoever is in charge of kind of like translating the titles doesn't actually know what the drama is about. And they just kind of like, because sometimes like I, I've seen, I don't know actually what the um, directly translated title of this drama is. Maybe it is Our Beloved Summer, but I know sometimes they change it slightly mm-hmm. and it just seems, but anyway, I just, you know, there was so much that they could have done, like a play, a word play on art or drawing or anything like videography related, like truly anything would have been better than Our Beloved Summer. And also I kept getting it wrong. I thought it was like Our, Be- Our Beautiful Summer. <laughs> I-, I could never, if you continually get it wrong, that's a problem. Right. Then yeah. it's not a memorable title. And I'm going to agree with the no. And for me, it's just, I want the title to mean something for the drama. And they had a five-year relationship and now they're embarking on, you know, maybe something new as adults. This was, none of this was about one particular summer. So I I wasn't even sure which beloved summer are we talking about because they were together <laughs> for five years. And now what's happening now is not taking place just in summer. So yeah, I was very, it confused me. And, and I don't like when the title of something takes me out enough that I'm constantly thinking about, well, why did they title it this? When, like Megan just said, they very well probably did not title it Our Beloved Summer. That's just what got translated and then given to us in English. So yeah, as far as the English title, no, I don't, I don't like Our Beloved Summer. So what are some good comps? So this was kind of hard because I did think Our Beloved Summer had its really did had kind of have its own flavor or maybe it was just hard for me to define. But I did watch One Spring Night, which is, again, another title that's really generic and I didn't like. But it did have a similar vibe where there wasn't necessarily like a whole lot going on externally. And the focus really was on like the relationship between the main leads. For me, I also, I'm going to say Run On, even, we're going to talk about Run On a little bit, but like being another quiet drama we all watched, I do feel like it had some elements of that, although very, very different. And it also felt to me like it had some similarity, again, very, very different to Go Back Couple, which didn't have magic, but had kind of that grappling with what went wrong in order to make it right. Oh, I like that comp. I didn't even think of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think both of those comps are actually pretty good. I mean, nothing's obviously going to be direct, but right. those those are both, I think that those yeah. are good. It had a very strong indie vibe, I will say that. Yes. Agreed, which maybe, see, that's why One Spring Night didn't have that vibe. That's the only reason I was like, I don't know if that comp's good, but for Run On, I, I mean, I agree that was similar. I don't have anything to add to that, because I do talk about Run On a little bit later as far as a, a comparison to this. So I do think that that is a good one, although, like you said, very, very different. 
So in book writing, we often hear that if a couple could just sit down and talk honestly about their problems and resolve it, then it's not a great conflict. In the case of our beloved summer, though, it does feel like that's basically what happens. <laughs> but it's also rooted in this new adult mentality. So Amy, could you get into what is new adult as a genre and how did this drama hearken to what's great about it even if most of the conflict really could have been settled with a simple heart-to-heart combo sure i'd love to address that (laughs) so (laughs) okay well then please i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) so all three of us got our start in publishing with writing new adult and this is way back in the early 2010s and at that time Writers and publishers noticed an age range gap in the romance genre. We had YA, or young adult romance, which focused on the teen years. Then adult romance for when you're all grown up, established in your career, and worrying about adult things like whatever adults worry about. But we didn't have a dedicated space for that sort of coming of age time in your late teens, early 20s, kind of that in-between stage when you have some autonomy from family and maybe even are living independently, not always though, but you're still not quite an adult, nor do you know how to navigate life like an experienced adult. So enter new adult, which is exactly who our characters seem to be. They still have that safety net of family, but are also finding their way as autonomous, independent beings. And sometimes that emotional maturity of knowing how to just sit down and talk it out isn't quite developed, which is why we forgive characters like Yeonsu and Choyoung for not just sitting down and talking for crying out loud, because that would have solved everything. But they're not there yet emotionally. They're not like they don't have the emotional sort of confidence to do that. Like, they're very, very scared to approach what happened five years ago. And so instead are tiptoeing around the issue and doing anything but dealing with the past. And that held true to me very, very much for this age range of characters. So let's talk about the OST, Megan. I think it's a winner. Uh, What's a particular standout for you? And how does the music augment the emotions of the drama? Yeah, I mean, and I've heard a lot of talk about the OST for this drama. I think that was one of the things I feel like was mentioned on Twitter almost more than the actual drama itself. And obviously, I have to mention Christmas Tree by V because it really is a beautiful song. And I'm going to read some verses for the song. And I'm doing it because to me, the verses themselves really did a good job of describing the relationship between the two leads like the it it was just a really perfect song in my opinion so let me just i'm not gonna sing it obviously so i'll tell you a million tiny things that you have never known it all gets tangled up inside and i'll tell you a million little reasons i'm falling for your eyes i just want to be where you are it's such a strange thing to do sometimes i don't understand you but it always brings me back to where you are And I feel like it kind of described sort of like the confusion they have in the relationship, um, how they have a hard time communicating, but yet they always do seem to come back together and gravitate towards each other and want to be with each other. That's perfect. Those lyrics are absolutely perfect for it. Aren't they? I looked at the lyrics. I mean, you can hear some of them, obviously, in the OST, but there's always like dialogue in the back. So I wanted to like look up the full lyrics. And when I did, I was like, oh, my gosh, it felt like it was really written for these characters. I also want to throw out there just because I loved the OST for this and that um, 
One of the big refrains is the song Home by Janet Suh, who also sang my very favorite In Silence from It's Okay to Not Be Okay. So just wanted to give a shout out to her. because That's a great song, man. I forgot about how good that yeah. song is. Yeah, no, I was, I'm glad you mentioned Janet Suh because... I did notice that I, I liked also the songs that she had on this OST. It's just overall. Yeah, it is great, a really so. great soundtrack, and I will listen to this. Okay, so this was a quiet drama. Uh, it was character-driven. There's not a lot of external plot or conflict. And I did already say that I felt like there was a comp to run on, which I have mixed feelings about. I thought I hated it, then I liked it. You know, we have a whole podcast about it. But for you, was Our Beloved Summer Amy more or less successful than Run On, which I know you did not enjoy because both were similarly quiet? Yeah, agree. I totally agree. And like for me, I think that Our Beloved Summer was more successful simply because I connected to the characters more and felt the angst. And in Run On, I didn't feel much angst or conflict other than from... C1. Like, I didn't feel it from the relationship. He had his own stuff that he was dealing with, and I appreciated that. But every other character, they didn't have any real emotional drama that I felt they couldn't get past, where I think it was, I think it was our two characters, our, our leads, having that previous relationship that established that conflict for me. And I you know, I loved that we got to see them falling in love and then get to see them five years later when they're estranged. And to me, that's some that's like some fantastic new adult conflict, emotional conflict. And I didn't have that conflict, at least for me, in Run On. So thoughts on the heat level and chemistry between the leads? So we, since this was a Patreon pick, I thought it was only fair to, you know, go back to our Patreon and say, hey, is there anything that anyone really wants to bring up? And something that I thought was interesting that was raised was some conversation on the heat level of the drama. And I'm going to expand on it with just my thoughts on the chemistry as well. So for me, I felt like the heat was really at Chloe or Crash Landing on You levels. And I'm not saying that this show had to get insane (laughs) and like get down, but I'd at least like to have seen some healer heat where there was overt acknowledgement or suspicious partners. Like I would at least like to have seen the kind of heat I would expect in a Ji Chang Wook. So where, you know, obviously it's a drama. We're not going to get into it a lot, but I mean, these are people who have history and pent up passion and they've clearly done it in the past. At least I hope they have. And so I just would have liked to have been able to see them let off some steam a little bit. And their kissing isn't even particularly intense. There are some really sweet moments that have, you know, lovely emotion. So again, kind of like Chloe. And I remember when we watched Goblin and did a podcast on Goblin, Megan, you talked about how you felt like, because I I and Amy really felt the chemistry between Untek and Kim Shin and Goblin. And you were like, I feel like they were kind of like besties they were like rolling around in the bed together like yay a sleepover (laughs) and I kind of had that vibe a little bit in this one like I'm glad that they were friends first and foremost but I really did still want to believe that they like could rip clothing off (laughs) so I mean I guess that's where I landed in the chemistry 
We, like, at least had him laying her down at some point, right? Like, laying her down, like, I think it was on the couch or something. It was, like, towards the very end. This is not a spoiler. You know, like, it's a, it's a romance. But it was, I mean, which was more than we ever got in Crash Landing on You. Like, we never even got the hint of sex in Crash Landing I mean, Landing do you feel like you. that was a hint of sex? I still didn't even feel like it was a hint of sex. Yes, I did. I okay. did. For me, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say for this one... Well, I think I think my answer kind of is explained in the next question. Okay, I'll just get into that. So, yeah. <laughs> is Choi Woo Shik bettable <laughs> or do you want to put him in a pram and give him kimbap? And then how about second male lead Kim Sung Chol? So, yeah, so this is where I'm coming at. Okay, so like say there's there's just an inherent difference obviously between between male leads for for I mean, in any like country and any like this this goes for everyone so obviously you get it you're gonna have male leads like park sojun who like you're you're waiting for <laughs> for that like bed moment and because he he just kind of like exudes this like sexiness and i think ji chang wook is very similar there's a lot of leads that have this like inner sexiness and che wushik like don't get me wrong i i love him i love him a lot and watching him on screen is amazing but he just doesn't hit me in that like bettable sexy way like say post army park young chick uh because we've all seen happiness and we know like yeah there's something there's something sexy going on there so che wushik just kind of falls into the friend zone for me and i really don't mean that in a negative way like i was rooting for him rather than crushing on him. And also maybe it was like his character itself. Like he was kind of this like emotionally suffering artist. And for me that I there was something about that that didn't like hit me in like that kind of like toe curling way. And again, I don't think that that's like a negative thing. It's just I uh, I, I do think that's why I, I liked their chemistry. I did. I thought they had good chemistry, but not in the way say Kim Ji Won and Park So Joon had chemistry in Fight for My Way. Like it was a different kind of chemistry. I hope I'm making sense when I say that. Mm-hmm. But you are, but you're, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> okay, Amy, let's hear your take. I love it. You're wrong. <laughs> I love it. So, and I don't think it has to be toe curling for, for me to get on board. And and I am on board here, but I'm saying bettable. Um, I'm 100% ignoring that I was four months shy of my sweet 16 when he was born. <laughs> no one needs to know. And I do know what it is. But or I don't know what it is, but I big time love the tortured artist with abandonment issues. So like totally opposite of what you're saying. I mentioned early on in the afternoon of delight days that a wounded hero is totally my jam. And that includes the emotional boo-boos. So no pram for me. We're going full after school special with my Choi Wushik love. However, I have zero desire to bed Ji-ung or put him in a pram because I grew tired of his moping way early <laughs> in this drama. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not, not, this is no, like, no. It's okay, it's okay, I'm here. To the actor, it's the character. No, I'm it's here, character. I'm here for it, so, okay. Yeah, you got it, it's all so, you. So, look, yeah. I love Choi Wushik. I loved him in Parasite, I loved him in Train to Busan, I love his acting, I love to look at his cute, cute little face that makes me want to be like, ookie boogie, <laughs> like, he's so cute. He is. <laughs> So that being said, like, I really want to be his friend and have him over for pizza and board games. Goody's all yeah. mine, then. I'm all good. But yeah. 
Kim Sung Chul is a horse of another color. Like that guy can get it, in my opinion, all the ways that there is wow. to be gone. And I do not want him to come over and play Pictionary. And I'm not going to say I'd boggle his balls because that would just be rude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but you did say it. No, I mean, that would be disgusting. Fine, boggle. <laughs> oh, fucking weird. I love it. Okay, we can address this. Like, I, I do think there was like 100% too much of him just like staring at his computer, looking at videos of, of Yunsu. Like, I was like, all right, buddy, like, enough. Okay, she's not into you. But I did, oh my God, like the boy with like, a mom who doesn't love him is always going to like kind of hit me. And he was just so stone cold that I was into his character. I, I, I agree he was mopey, but there was also something else about him that kind of hit me. Like, oh, the whole thing about He's him yearning. And, He's so full of yearning. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, just all the yearning and, like, the sad little emotional boo-boos with his yeah. mom. Like, we can't get into it because we're in the non-spoiler section, but just, like... Oh, true. So cute. Oh, yeah. such a good was, friend. Yeah, he was a good friend. I was, I was into it, so... Okay, so there is a lot of youthful insecurity in this drama. Do you relate? Do you have any like experiences from when you were younger where you suffered romantically from your ability to be confident? I mean, a hundred percent. I relate to this as a former as former teen me and as adult me. Like I remember very specifically when I was in high school, when I was a freshman, there was a junior guy that I had like the biggest crush on. And you know how things go in high school in the late eighties, early nineties is the way that you find out if somebody likes you is you have to like, your friends have to ask their friends, right? So I, I got word from my friends that his friends said that he liked me and wanted me to call him, wanted me to call him. I had to call this junior guy who I had the biggest crush on. And I was like, so freaking scared. Um, But I did it. I did it. I called this guy and we talked and I never dated him, but I did it. But it was like one of the scariest things I've ever had to do because I'm like, why me? Why would this guy like me? Like that was me back then. As an adult now who is like back in the whole stupid romantic game, I still have insecurities like we all do. I'm way more confident than I was in my youthful days, but that doesn't mean that I'm you know, not still learning to love all the parts of myself. Um, So I could totally relate to all that these characters were going through, especially Yansu, you know, being this total brazen badass to everybody else. But we know deep down that she just doesn't believe in herself. And that was super, super easy to, to relate to. Yeah, I think so, too. And I also was a hot mess of dysfunctional communication when I was young. And I just wanted these like dumb boys who I was involved with to read my brain and know what I wanted. And so I got that, too. And she was always playing like the hypotheticals with him. Like she just wanted him to say he loved her. Mm-hmm. And like I knew I knew every single time she did it, what but she was trying like, to get him to do. Say you love me. And yeah, I and know. Boys like, are dumb. So dumb. <laughs> boys so are dumb. So dumb. <laughs> And also, like, in reverse, like, I do think that there were some times where people, you know, I was romantically involved with were going through something, just like he was often. And I didn't know how to ask, like, how are you doing? Or what can I do to support you? Because I was just too young and dumb myself. 
And so I felt like I related to that side too, where, you know, there were times where, you know, he had gone through some pretty traumatic things and she didn't really know how to talk to him about it. So who is going to like this drama and who might want to steer clear? You know, I I think anyone who likes a quiet drama with pretty much zero outside conflict, which normally would not be me, but for some reason, these characters just hit me in all the right feels. So I don't know who I would ask to steer clear of it, because on a lot of levels, like we've said, this has a lot of similarities to Run On, which did not work for me, yet this one did. So if you're up for a quiet drama, give it the four episode test. And if you're still on board after that, then keep going. And if not then move right along. There's tons of other fantastic dramas. But yeah, I don't know. I think it was just the combination of the cast. And I guess I am a big sucker for it. Like if you like um, second chance romance type things, which I, I, you know, like the the comp for go back couple, like the second chance romance idea. I think if you really like that idea and you want to see like how a relationship started, how it fell apart and how it might work out again, I think this is a great one for that. So here we are for K-Pop Wreck of the Week. And Megan, what do you have for us this week? Well, I think it's only appropriate that we recommend Christmas Tree by V of BTS this week. It's a beautiful song. It in, is. His voice. Uh, I love his voice. I know. It's really gorgeous. It's a really, he has this really kind of, baritone. Um, yeah, this like full bodied baritone voice. And it's really just beautiful and emotional and yeah, I'll add it to our Spotify playlist. So it is Christmas Tree. Yeah, he sings like he's been alive for a thousand years, honestly. It's true. <laughs> like rather than being like 26, he sings like he's got like Kim Shin's soul and he has seen it all. And it's always emotional. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Maybe that's part maybe that's part of why this drama is really hitting like all the right marks for me is also because it had such a fantastically paired soundtrack that I th- you know, there's great emotion to the music, yeah. too, and mm-hmm. it, it hits all the right marks. Yeah. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, blow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida! Okay, so now we are getting to the spoiler section. If you have not seen Our Beloved Summer and you want to check it out, which I think we encourage you to do so, this is where you'd like to jump out. However, if you have not seen it and you do want to be spoiled or you've already watched it and you want to hear us talk more in depth about some of the things that happened, stick around because this is where we are. So, okay, 
one fun fact I have is that Ong's house is actually a cafe in real life. So that cozy two-story house with the serene atmosphere is a coffee shop called Kong Hung Party located in Suwon, South Korea. And it's near Hanoks or traditional Korean houses similar to the ones that Wung's parents had as a restaurant. So Megan, what did you think of like the architecture porn? And how did the house feel like an extension of his character versus Yeonsu's more modest home with her Helmoni? Yeah, I adored his house. I actually found myself <laughs> majorly coveting it in a way that distracted me. His furniture was, you know, really cool and unique. And I thought it was really cute how he tended his plants like he was like really careful the plants were so cute oh my gosh his plants were so cute and he did a great job and as someone who has like a dying money tree like right here in the corner of my office that my cats have destroyed yeah i'm jealous yeah so he was like this little stylish house plant dad uh i do think it was definitely an extension of his character in a way that he made it very pretty and attractive like his drawings but there were no people there like he had an assistant who he continually told to leave over and over again like he he would really seclude himself like he'd be like i'm going down to the basement to be by myself or i'll go i'm gonna go in my bedroom to be by myself like he didn't it's not like he had people over or anything like that so yeah it really kind of felt like a like a model house whereas yun su's pair house uh felt more like a home like there were like pictures um like homey things sitting out you know I love that description of it. Like, I didn't even think of that until until I saw your response there, that he really did isolate himself. And the only people who were ever there was, like, Unho, who was his best friend, but also, like, who worked for him. So he only had Unho there when he needed him and then basically kicked him out. When anybody came, he, like, wanted yeah, to kick him like, out. Yeah, he, like, always wanted people always gone. <laughs> yeah. But his house was really cool. Like, I, I liked it a lot. I love that it's a cafe. I want to yeah. go there. Yeah, me there too, because it's really, really cool. We'll add it to the list when we do our trip. Yes. So, Amy, tell us how you feel like Ong's arc was reflected in his art. So, I think it's a little on the nose, but I still loved it. Like, Ong drew buildings. He drew them well, but he never perfected his technique because he always said that he wanted an easy life. One where he didn't have to put forth too much effort. Because guess what? Effort could lead to success, but it could also lead to failure and disappointment. And if he didn't rock the boat, then his adoptive parents, because of course it's a K-drama, which means, of course, we have a main character who was abandoned and then adopted by the best parents. Unless you're Gia from Tale of the Nine-Tailed, which I'll never let go of, in which case no one looked after you and you did your taxes at night. Anyway, seriously, Ang did what came easy to him and left it at that, because if he didn't try too hard and didn't disappoint anyone, then he wouldn't be abandoned again. That, that was his mindset. But Yunsu did abandon him anyway, which I think was just another reason to live the easy life that his innate skills brought to him. But once he had that lovely heart to heart with his mom at the end, which I thought was so sweet, she just kind of nodded at him and he's like, so you knew that I knew all along. And she's like, yeah, I totally knew. And they had this lovely heart to heart where she's like, you know, we love you. Be happy. Sleep. Like live your life kind of thing. So he has this wonderful heart-to-heart with his mom, and then he and Yunsu are back together, and he finally had the confidence in himself to step out of his comfort zone and another K-drama trope, go and study abroad and like get really serious about his art. But what I really loved is that even though he got 
you know, he was criticized about his art from the other artists that he was competing with and by an actual, like, art critic, like, saying that his art was kind of rudimentary, that there wasn't depth to it, there wasn't emotion to it. He only draws buildings and not people. But at the end, we see, you know, once he's gone abroad and he's come back and everybody's back together and, you know, it's wonderful and happy ending, his parents are running this, like, book donation drive thing. And so he and Yunsu are loading shelves of books of theirs from when they were younger, you know, to donate. And one of his school books falls open, and there's this beautiful portrait of Yunsu from when they were teens. And so he always had it in him to do that art that had the depth, but just wasn't confident enough to do it. And, and now he is. So I thought that it was a great arc, and I thought they pulled it off really well. You know, even though I do have some quibbles about the plot in general, I thought his particular arc was done really, really well, and I I loved how the arc mirrored his art. I agree. I think you summed that up really well. So what do you think about a hero who has so many sleep challenges? Is that a trope cliche that you like? So I do love when they lean in hard on this cliche. <laughs> I just think Suspicious Partner did it better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Maybe because I love Ji Chang Wook so much. I think I felt in this drama, it started to get a little repetitive for me because I felt like there was like a lot of where they would do something or say something when the other person was awake, but they weren't actually awake. Or I'm sorry, when they were asleep, but they weren't actually asleep. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like it happened a couple times and I was sort of like, okay, when are we going to like kind of move on from this like asleep, awake things that are happening during REM thing, like cliche. I just wanted it to like kind of <laughs> during <the laughs> I just kind of wanted it to like, like move on a little bit Once from they that. they walk out of the room, like their eyes open, they're like, I'm here. I just couldn't. Yeah. Stand. And I also, I also just kind of like, he had a lot already kind of like going on with him. And I didn't really think the sleep thing tied in with his issues. So it felt like a little tacked on for me. But that's just me being petty. Hmm. It's a cliche or a trope that I will always be here for. I love the tortured hero who can't sleep unless the heroine is there. Bring it on anytime. Yeah, I'm kind of into like sleep drama too. In a moment of powerful self-realization yunsu realizes that her life has never once been pathetic instead as she says quote the only person who made my life seem pathetic was me so leah why is this a huge turning point for her arc okay so i work in higher ed as my day job and something that i do is talk to people that are kind of the age that yunsu was during some of the flashbacks of the drama you know like college student age And I see students who, people who I would say objectively, I look at their situations and think, you are going to be totally fine. Like you are bright, you are a hard worker, you have opportunity in front of you. And yet their insecurities and unease and family dynamics, just lots of things mixed together so that they begin to feel as if they are less than that, you know, the glass is half empty, just all those kind of things that I think we really saw for Yonsu too. Like she just couldn't really see how she was going to like get out from under some of her baggage. And then we see towards the end of the drama when she's like, actually, I'm fine. 
But like I, I've been the problem. Like I've just been viewing myself as this burden for Ung. I've been viewing myself as less than compared to other people. I grew up poor. I, you know, grew up without living parents and all these things that like were difficult for me. And when she finally realized that she was the only person that was truly in her own way, it was such a powerful moment for her. And I feel like that's really like a pivotal moment for so many people, women and men, uh, that I feel like when they get to the points where they realize the only thing that's stopping me from, you know, self-actualizing is myself and my own kind of like inner baggage that I need to begin to release. So yay for her. And she got there without therapy. <laughs> to make like her arc personal to me, you know, obviously, I always wanted to be an author, like that's always what I wanted to do. And I remember, you know, in my 20s, and I would see these authors do so well, and I would read their books. And I remember thinking, well, I, you know, I, it's not even that good. Like, why, you know, being snotty, because I was like in my 20s and stupid. And, you know, I remember thinking like, well, I could do better. I could do better. And then I would be like grumpy about it. Like, well, why, why don't I have success? Well, I hadn't even written a fucking book yet. <laughs> but, but it was like, well, if I never wrote a book, I can't say like I failed, you know, mm -hmm. and, and exactly. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. Like that was a thing for me. Uh, there's always this like, potential that gives you hope. And if you haven't, like actually acted out on that potential, then you can still have that hope in your heart. Mm -hmm. But if you've acted out on it, and you fail, blah, blah. So it was really a big thing for me when I finally was like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna do it. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write a book. Like, I'm, you know, I had an idea. It was like my first book I ever wrote that um, I self published a long time ago in like 2013. But I have it. I have it on my shelf. What I actually did was I went I, I got a tattoo on my ribs. And it's like a feather quill with an ink bottle. And it says Carpe Diem, because again, I'm a basic white bitch. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so and I remember like I would get out of the shower and I, I would have to look at that every day. I would have to look at that tattoo. That was painful because it was all my ribs and vibrated my entire, you know, rib cage. And I did. I wrote I, I wrote a book. And, you know, that that was a huge thing for me to get out of my own way. Like I remember I read Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was like, I can do better. And I'm like, but can I? Mm -hmm. Like, can I actually do better? Like, I have, I've never tried. So why am I acting all hoity-toity? And but yeah, yes, you can. <laughs> but why am I acting like <laughs> you know? Anyway, so I I understand that arc of hers. So not to like go off on a on a personal tangent, but it's just that is hard. It is hard to get out of your own way. Very much so. And I didn't I didn't write my first book until I was twenty nine i think so that was a long time <laughs> that's what i'm saying like i was older yeah but so i just mean it doesn't matter you know? i just mean like it wasn't like i i mean it took a long right. time it takes a long time to get out of your way and i'm actually i still was in my own way even then but what do you think about the second female lead nj who is also a famous k-pop idol yeah, I, I definitely want to give her a shout out. I did love that they didn't paint her out to be this kind of like evil and nasty foil to Yunsu. Um, NJ was respectful and sweet. And, you know, I really hope she finds someone who appreciates her. I really love the scene where she buried her cell phone in her plant's pot so she couldn't call 
so she didn't call Ung, like she was trying to prevent herself. And then she, but she like needed her phone since so she was like digging it out and she like dirt all over her like super nice apartment. And I just, I just found her really cute. I like that she always did feel a little powerful to me. I doubt it's realistic that she could dictate her schedule as much as she did and like skip out on things. But I just, I, you know, I, I liked her. I think she made me for one of like the first times in, in watching a drama, she made me want to write a second female lead SOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really agree on the second female lead SOS because of her. And, you know, I shipped the main leads and I'm glad they ended up together, but I really think she was done dirty by the plot. You know, and she really put herself out there without being clingy or annoying. And I felt like she was just really, like, for the first time, maybe, for her taking this chance with her heart. And it also made me wonder if Ong was truly just dumb. (laughs) Because, like, no one misses that many signals. Or if he's just that good at avoiding. And I think it must have just been he was that good at avoiding. But sometimes they really made it seem like he was that dumb. Right. Like, he was really that clueless. Right. I did like that we got to see this person who's very powerful in her day-to-day life show us her insecurities because it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're an idol or whether you're, you, you know, Yunsu who thought you, you know, you were going to be first in your class and you'd be so successful and then, you know, ha- has so many doubts because she's not. I like this idea that no matter what you do and how successful you are, that everybody has these like, you know, inner doubts about themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to put yourself out there, whether you're an idol or whether you're somebody who's running into your ex five years after inexplicably breaking up with yep. them. She also had like the best wardrobe she of did. the drama. Yeah, she did. She had really, she, we have to do a second female lead because she was so good. She was. She was fantastic. Speaking of another great second female lead, how much do we love Iso Yi? And when are we going to see Pak Jin Ju finally get to be a romantic lead in her own right? Right? Like, I mean, maybe we maybe we're missing it somewhere because we just keep seeing her as the, you know, as like a second lead type person. But I adored her. I think the first place I saw her was in her private life. And then even though she was a such a different character, she was, again, a very memorable person in It's Okay Not to Be Okay. But I think this one might be my favorite role of hers so far. Like, it 100% proves that she would be a fantastic leading romantic heroine. A romantic comedy heroine, I want to see her in. I mean, she's been in, like, everything. I mean, yes. you look at... Oh, it's insane. And I just remembered now, she was in... I remember she was in something about 1%. She was, like, the male leads, like, on his staff at his business. And she was so cute in that. And she was also in While You Were Sleeping. She was, like, essentially, I think, kind of like a paralegal role i would say maybe that's comparable she was so freaking cute in that role i loved her so much i just yeah like someone get her a main lead please like we're asking yeah i think she's just a little quirky i mean she is very cute but i think she's Mm -hmm. not maybe like a hundred percent beauty standards perfect looking she's interesting looking but that makes me want to see her more and stuff because she's adorable and she looks very much like herself i agree she has yeah such a distinctive face like i you know you can point her out in like anything just like man give her a main role in a rom-com please yeah. i adore okay her. manifesting it mm-hmm. yeah so what is a favorite scene that you have in the drama 
I mean, I look, I love when Yun Su showed up to his house for the first time in like, <laughs> what, five years, like he hadn't seen her five years, and he sprayed her in the face with water and then tossed salt at her. The whole backstory of how he like practiced this for years was just very funny to me. And, you know, it it was a sad situation, but then it was, you know, humorous at the same time. And I and I did like this about the drama. I thought there were a lot of moments that really gave levity to the angst. Yeah, I really loved that. I thought it was really funny. And I love that he admits that he practiced yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you don't, I mean, obviously you don't know when it happens. And when it happens, she rings the doorbell, he answers it walks away, comes back with the spray bottle and just sprays yeah. her in the yeah, face. Also, how relatable fantastic. is that? Like, how many times have yeah. you <sighs> practiced, like, if you have to, like, I don't know, see a co-worker again that you're, like, mad at or something? Like, how many times have you practiced a conversation like a moment. in your yeah. head? Yeah, and actually get to play it out. Right, you think of what your comeback should have been. Yeah. And you're like, if I ever see that person again, this is what I'm going to do. And he gets to, like, yeah, that- act it out. Mm-hmm. Like, good for him. He gets to do it. <laughs> Um, so speaking of like levity, I love when, well, first of all, I love, I love what I talked about earlier when the book falls open, um, and we see that, Ung you know, drew the portrait of her and we knew that he always could do that. But I think talking about the levity, I loved when, I don't remember why it happened, but Unho <laughs> and Sol Yi were like left alone at Ung's house and they just got rip roaring drunk. <laughs> I love that. You're right. That was so great. So funny. And like. Everybody was there, and then nobody was there, and they were still there, and they were just like, well, we're just going to drink, and it was so did, funny. So, did they end up together at the end? I think they're going to, like, I don't know if it was ever, like, super Yeah, official. I felt like they ended up very nebulous. I agree. But they were so, so cute. cute. They both of them, they both were super charming, mm-hmm. funny, like, best friends Yeah, of the male, of the male and female lead, and they were great for each other. So I loved when Yonsu brought the jujubes over to make the tea for him because, you know, he can't sleep. And the brown paper bag had a little tear in it. And so when Ung finally comes home, he's following this trail of jujubes <laughs> and picking them up every couple of steps. Like, huh, that's weird. Then he gets in his house and there's jujubes just kind of like randomly in his house. And he starts to slowly, confusingly put the pieces together. And it reminded me of Coffee Prince and that great scene with the chestnuts where we have like Gong Yu following after picking up the chestnuts for like the like a big emotional payoff moment. And I just love it. I totally thought the same thing. Like it's a perfect parallel. And I'm, I'm hoping it was a nod to that because you got to give a nod to like a great classic, like coffee prints. And Mm -hmm. I, I adore that. I want to know what that tea tastes like. Do you guys know? I mean, according to Ung, it was terrible. Yeah. They made it seem like it was really bad. I was like, well, can maybe just put a little sweetener in it? (laughs) Yeah. If you've had jujube tea, let us know how it tastes. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay. So, I think we can all agree we like this drama, but any wags of the finger? Look, if you have listened to this podcast at any length of time, you probably know like what kind of dramas I like. And this one just necessarily didn't, for for me to like absolutely love it, it just didn't have a cohesive enough plot going on uh, for me. And like, look, I did enjoy it. I thought the first half was much stronger than the back half. And Mm -hmm. overall, I wanted the external conflicts to be a little bit more cohesive and, like, carried out. Uh, I was super stoked when they set up the conflict with Yunsu organizing this art competition between Wung and his rival. But then there really wasn't a competition. Like, they just drew next to each other. And I didn't get it. I was like, what? I don't... What? 
you know, and even the documentary storyline, I thought just started to get sort of like messy and unfocused. There was all this like drama and the the direction of the of the documentary, which I was like, wouldn't you have figured that out in the first place? Like, wouldn't you have cleared this with everyone, like the direction of this documentary? And then you like kidnap the people and make them do interviews at some cabin. It just didn't make any sense. So a lot of a lot of the the conflicts, those ex- the, like that external plot stuff just like fizzled out for me. And it, I think that's why it's not like a full like five out of five drama for me. And I think my biggest thing, and I'm still bothered by this, is that they never actually sat down and discussed the breakup. So I expected a serious conversation about why she told him, quote, you were the only thing I could throw away. Like that big breakup scene that they replayed, I swear to God, five times. Like I heard her say it five times. So they made it a really big deal. And I thought that they were going to later break down and have a conversation and also like analyze her dialogue, like why she worded it that way. I thought there was going to be like this big revelation on what she meant by that. And it was going to be, you know, there's going to be like, an emotional payoff and it and it never happened and like can the viewer infer yeah sure but i think for a drama that hinged so greatly on this freaking breakup for the whole drama to kind of like harp on this breakup and then not ever give it closure was very frustrating for me as a viewer like i gotta be honest the the final episode and they're like we're married and i'm like did you ever talk about the breakup like i like, I, like I was like, I you, your marriage is not believable, and it to me unless you ever kind of resolve that. And to me, I, as a viewer, I felt a little cheated that that wasn't resolved on screen. So that's my biggest yeah. beef. I a hundred percent agree with that. Like aside from the the plot divulging, like I think if we would have had the competition be more central to the plot and have that have the competition last longer and have this sort of forced proximity because she has to work with him. And then rather than there really was no, there really was no goal then for them outside of the romance. Cause that competition thing, which wasn't really a competition happened like in the first couple episodes, then it was done. Um, So totally agree with that and totally agree about the breakup thing. Like that should have been a super pivotal thing on screen and we should have seen why that happened and because I inferred something probably different than they intended like I inferred earlier on that she broke up with him because he was offered to go abroad and was saying no and so to me I thought she was trying to like cut ties so that he would do what she needed what he needed to do professionally and not stay back because of her and it didn't that So to me, that scene where they showed her standing out in the hall listening to him tell the professor, no, I'm not going to do it, didn't kind of jive with her whole, I'm insecure about myself and I don't think I'm good enough kind of thing. So I, yeah, there's definitely some missed connections there that didn't quite make sense for me. Yeah, I felt like, and see, for me, I felt like it was more that burdening, like, I don't want to burden you with all the things now that, like, I have to pay off this random relative's debt and, you know, my life's a mess. And here I had been, like, so competent and so in charge. And now I just kind of feel like a bit of a loser. But the problem is that when she says, you are the only thing I can throw away, the amount of pain that his character would have to hear that, which she doesn't know because he's never told her that he was thrown away by his own father who says, hang out on the sidewalk, look at these buildings, which also has now influenced his art. And 
left him. And so for her to even say something like that is just so painful for a character who's been through what he's been through. And then, yeah, like you said, there's never the reconciliation. And at that point, even though they'd been together, you know, as a solid couple for five years, when she tells him that, they actually didn't know these things about each other. He didn't realize that she was struggling with so much insecurity and not wanting to burden him. And she just didn't full up straight know that he had been abandoned. Yeah. And actually, she never was like, oh, well, one of the reasons we broke up is because I was like having a really hard time personally. Like he kind of figured it out from her grandmother but again grandma yeah you're telling me that you're married now but you still hadn't had like an honest face-to-face <laughs> conversation well they had they just zipped i know and, and that <laughs> that bugged me i just feel like again yeah. we saw that breakup scene from both so many of their points of view so many times yeah so for that to not be resolved just really bothered me really really did so that's that's i think my big beef with this drama so it could have been fixed like give me give me a scene and i would have been happy Mm. yep agree i agree all right well that does it for our beloved summer angsty yes quiet yes you know not perfect but delightful in its own Mm -hmm. way and a great oh really because of the cast the cast made everything yeah i mean kim dami is truly one of my favorites I, i i really love her yeah she's so great I really, I loved everybody. It was a wonderful ensemble of a cast. Yeah, truly. His parents, her grandma, the people in her company, the people at the, you know, the production company for the documentary, the whole thing was great. All right. So for a book wreck, who would like to share an angsty new adult? I mean, we all wrote them. (laughs) (laughs) Go look at our backlist. (laughs) Yeah. Go look at what we wrote in like 2014. (laughs) That's our new adult. Any of us. All of our first books released in 2014, and they were new adult. My first book was Make It Count, and actually is a little similar, because the heroine falls for her tutor. So she's dyslexic, and she really is insecure about it. And she falls for her tutor, and she really doesn't think she's like good enough or smart enough for this hot nerd. And my first book in 2014 is called If Only, and... Honestly, I think it's a hot mess of a love triangle, which happens never in real life. But, you know, (laughs) it's new adult. So it's all the angst, all the angst in that book. And then mine was Upside Down, which is a college age student who secretly suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder and is fleeing some family trauma and studies abroad in Australia where she connects with a very moody basket of emotional boo-boos in the form of a Australian surfer. Brand. Oh, I forgot. Mine's, yeah, mine's study abroad, too. Study abroad in Scotland. So you've got Australia and Scotland. And I think mine's in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Good old Maryland, I think. Yeah, I think it's in Maryland. All right. And what is everyone watching? So I'm finally, like, caught up with everything we're podcasting about currently. Like, I literally just finished watching The Pirates, this afternoon, which we did a snack on for the Patreon. So I am diving headfirst into Mr. Sunshine tonight or tomorrow. Oh, yes. good luck. I'm very excited. Yep, very good excited. Good luck. Hang in there. Kim on suck. Okay, so I am now caught up on 2521 and Business Proposal. I love both of them. They are very different and they are so good. Like, I'm just, I, I think I'm really obsessed with business proposal just because it's so much fun and really is like 
soothing my wounded Mr. Sunshine Heart. And so, yeah, so I, and I think there's a Korean BL called Semantic Error that I think is like finished now. So I, I'm going to binge that. And then I'm, I also want to start Military Prosecutor Doberman. Oh, yeah, right. On Booyang. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I have kind of been in not watching as many dramas as normal. And so, yeah, me too. Just kind of, I've, I finished Our Beloved Summer. Finally, that one took me a long time. Me actually. too. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of like one a night. And then, yeah, Pirates. So I don't know. I think I might try Business Proposal because it's light and Office Romance is fun. Oh, so good. And I am starting to gear up in my heart to do um, My Mister. I'm not ready for I it yet. I do want to do that. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I do want to do I that do. One. I, I, I want to watch it like this spring. Maybe but. we buddy watch it. It's just like I felt like we were going to buddy watch Our Beloved Summer and then you watched it in like a Shut minute up. and Amy and I took like two weeks. <laughs> no, Amy and I took forever yeah, to watch We did. It. It, I mean, like this was almost like Reply 1988 for me. Like I just, I c- and it wasn't for lack of liking it. I just, yeah. Like you I think we're, like, we've been like one dealing with some life stuff and we're not going as fast with yeah. some things. Agree. Yeah, I I, I needed something. After Mr. Sunshine, I needed something light. And even 2521 is a little heavy, but it's so good. And But business proposal for me right now is like hitting the spot. Like I'm really sad. I can't binge it. I'm all caught up on it. It's at four episodes right now as, as of the time we're recording this. And I'm just like, this is so freaking delightful. It's like a... M- newer version of what's wrong with secretary kim and i'm obsessed yeah i'm into it and yeah i think also for me too bts is starting to like gear up with all their stuff and the content is just starting i mean the content never was that slow even on their quote unquote break and now it's really picking up again and it's like v live v live just stuff stuff and i feel like again it's like yeah, it's a, it's a lot to be army sometimes. When when a K-pop group is in a comeback, it's constant content. You know, ATs and is on a break right now. They haven't started a so. real comeback. Yeah, right. They've just well, like, they're like gearing up. I know, I know what you yeah, mean. Though. Gearing up. When yeah, when a K-pop group is either gearing up for a comeback in the middle of it, the content is just out of this world. So yeah, it's just boom, 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 boom. So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I know. I don't. I, I understand. First world fangirl problems, right? <laughs> All right. Well, this was fun, and I am excited to do it all again next week with y'all. Yeah. So thanks to our Patreon (laughs) for telling us to watch this drama. We enjoyed it. So thank you. Yes, we did. Yeah. All right. See y'all later. Annyeong. Annyeong. Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!